0: You're listening to the Touch 'Em Up podcast, and I'm your host, Double M. And on today's episode, we have UFC 294, Mahachev versus Volkanovski. Two preview, predictions, and analysis. This fight card takes place this upcoming Saturday, October 21st, with an early start time of 2 p.m. each Eastern Standard Time. It's going to take place at the dot Arena on Yas Island in the UAE, in Saudi Arabia. And what a fight card we have for you. The rematch from UFC 284 on short notice for the lightweight championship between the current UFC lightweight champion and Islam Mahachev taking on the current pound for pound best featherweight in the world and the current featherweight champion in Alexander the Great Volkanovsky. And then in the co-main event of the evening, another short notice bout this time with Komaru Uzman, the former reigning defending UFC welterweight champion, moving up to middleweight on, again, just about 10 days short notice to take on the number four ranked middleweight. I believe he's also ranked number four in the welterweight division because he moves between middleweight and welterweight in the return of Hamzat Chimaev. For the first time since UFC 279, where coincidentally, he took on another short notice opponent in Kevin Trailblazer Holland due to a weight miss. So, without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys. Longer intro than we normally do, but we got UFC 294, baby, and we're going to get this podcast out early and we're going to have you ready and set up for fight week with potential bets and potential fight parlays, you know, fights to target for DraftKings, fights to target um, certain props to target for fights, even though the props aren't out yet, and everything in between. So we've got, like I said, 294. I'm really excited for this card. We did awful on the last card. I think we went 5-6 and six or 6-5, six and five, somewhere around there. And, you know, our last pick was Super Sadiq Yusuf. And it looked like we were going to get it. I mean, he 10 8 Barbosa in round one, dropped him multiple times, and he just blew his gas tank. He blew his wad. Barbosa came back. Barbosa is one of the most durable people I've ever seen in the UFC. And the fact that the guy can get in that good of shape at this point in his career, the fact that he can still compete, even dropping a weight class when he looked like he was as shredded as he could be at 155, Man, this guy's a beast with knockout wins over Billy Quarantillo, a decision over Sadiq Youssef, a decision win over Maquan Amir Khani, a very close razor-thin decision loss to Dan 50K Ige, um, a knockout win over Shane Burgos, who's now over in the PFL. I mean, Barbosa, a, he's a man on a mission. And I think the next fight to set up would be uh, Edson Barbosa and Kelvin Cater. I think that's the fight that people have wanted to see for a little bit now. That's a fight that I am super excited to see. And I think that that's probably the best option in the next fight to make for Edson Barbosa. I mean, I just, I really love everything about that fight. Um, You know, that that fight card, like I said, it didn't go the best for us. I had Adrian Yanez against Martinez, and I was pretty disappointed in the performance from Yanez. I expected him to get hit with some low kicks. You know, it's Orthodox versus Southpaw, that inside kick from one of the best kickers in the division— I knew that that was going to be a problem, but I thought Yanez was going to be expecting it a little bit more, but he timed it extremely well. He was constantly attacking that inside leg. I knew that the fight was over after about four inside low kicks. I could tell that he couldn't take many more. I could tell that when he tried to switch southpaw, he wasn't comfortable. And I, I'm a guy who said this as well, and I'm sure other people have too. Like, how didn't you train southpaw? Didn't you work southpaw in... Your training camp, and you could tell that he was definitely looking to use that outside foot positioning and use lateral movement, but the speed and the timing of the low kicks from Martinez is what stopped him from being able to execute that game plan, because right away, he pumped that jab and kind of slapped with the lead hook. To control the lead hand of Martinez being an orthodox fighter, Martinez being the southpaw, which is going to move you to the outside of the lead foot and move you away from the power backhand, power back low kick. This case, it would be the inside kick, considering that they are opposite stance. But man, like I said, I knew the fight was over at that point. I had bets on Adrian Yanez and TJ Brown. You know, TJ Brown just can never get it together. He had some decent moments, and it was a good fight with Darren Elkins with the scrambling. I mean, very high level wrestling scrambles, but you know, Elkins just stuck with it and kept grinding away until, you know, you can't out grind, you know, the king of the grind. And that's kind of what Elkins is at this point. He doesn't take the best shots. He gets hit and, you know, he found the back of TJ Brown, but going back to the Giannis fight, I was just surprised that he didn't try to maybe incorporate a little bit of wrestling, maybe, you know, switch between Orthodox and Southpaw consistently to kind of offset the rhythm that he's using moving forward and offset the rhythm that he can potentially get caught with by stepping into range. I thought that it was going to be a little bit harder for him to, you know, get caught, but you know, that isn't the case. And you know, another leg kick TKO from Jonathan Martinez. He got one over Cub Swanson. Now he's got one over Yanez and man, I mean, it was a great night of fights. A lot of fights ended in ways we didn't expect, but we got to move on and we got to look towards UFC 294. And that's what we're going to do. So we're going to kick it off. As you know, we're not going to break down the entire card. We're going to skip a few fights along the way. I'm not going to break down the fights, including, I will tell you right now, Victoria Dudjekova and Jin Yu Frey. We're not going to look at that one. We won't break down uh, Anshul Jubli and Mike Breeden. And then we won't look at Trevor Peak and Mohammed Yaya. But we will be breaking down the rest of the fights on the card. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten fights on the card that we are going to be breaking down. So we're going to get that started for you right now with UFC 294. All right. So let's get it started. Let's get into UFC 294. We're going to start off with a debuting fighter, an undefeated debuting fighter at 11 and 0. 10 knockouts, one win via decision in Shara, Shara Butin, Bullet. Or Shara Bullet, I'm sorry, Maga Madoff going up against a highly touted, talented, tested UFC veteran with really solid striking, great ground and pound in Bruno Blindado Silva. Silva comes in twenty three victories, nine defeats. This is a very tough test for a UFC debut. I mean, Shara Buten, I watched a bunch of his highlights going into this week and. The guy can crack. He's got a very, very solid kicking. That's probably the best part of his game. He can punch. He has good boxing. He can grapple, but the best part of his game is going to be his kicking game. He's got a lead uh, hook kick knockout, spinning back kicks, roundhouse kicks. I mean, any type of kick you can think of, question mark kicks off the lead leg, off the rear leg this guy can throw it. And that is something that I think is going to give Bruno Silva some trouble. Silva has big power in his hands. He can throw stance-changing combinations. He can switch stances and throw low kicks off of his punches. He also went three rounds, very tough rounds, with Alex Pereira, who's one of the best strikers, if not the best strikers, in the UFC. But ever since that fight where, yeah, he went back and forth, got some takedowns, had some grappling control, landed some good low kicks, landed some good uh, strikes on Pereira that seemed to take it out of him. I know he knocked out Brad Tavares, which was an impressive win, but he got dropped and then submitted by Brendan Allen in his last fight. And then before that, he got dropped hurt pretty bad and got submitted by Gerald Mearshart, but getting dropped by a guy like GM3 who, yeah, does have good liver kicks, good left power kick to the body, but his boxing has never been that great. And he never has really showcased a lot of power. Um, and that is something that I worry about. I know that with debuting fighters, you have to be careful because sometimes you think that they're so good and they get to the UFC and you just see that the competition level wasn't there. Um, I don't think that's the case though, with Shara butinmaga and I, I like him in this matchup. I do think that he's going to have to worry if they get into the boxing range for a little bit too long but Bruno Silva doesn't have the best defense regardless, and he kind of just relies on a high guard or slipping the punches, but he's not that effective. His reaction time isn't the greatest, and he can get clipped, and I think the speed and technique of the kicking game of Magomedov is going to be too much for Silva. In the boxing range, it is close, and if you favor this fight to take place in that boxing range, and then I do think that Bruno Silva has a shot to catch Shara Magomedov and hurt him, but... I don't think he's going to really allow it to get into that boxing range. And even if it does, I think he'll probably tie up in the over-unders, tie in the body lock, get to the clinch, and try to work his wrestling. Um, I'm going to go with Shara Butin Magomedov. I'm going to go with Maga to get the job done with a first-round head kick knockout. I think he's going to time uh, a head kick over the lead shoulder of Bruno Silva and knock him out. Kind of like the Dan Stidgen, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson knockout. I think he's going to time a head kick over his shoulder. Silva's not going to see it coming, and he is going to drop him and knock him out. Uh, last time I checked the odds, Silva was like plus 180 as a dog. That is good odds on a guy who's tested, fought in the UFC multiple times, has a lot of wins, and fought some of the best of the best. But I do think that Shara is a good parlay piece at minus 200. I think if it gets over minus 250, my, if it gets to minus 230, 40, 50, I wouldn't play it. Um, anything under... Minus 230, I think, is solid for parlay pieces. Um, or you look at Shara uh, by knockout, if the prop is a pretty decent, juicy one. Because I do think he gets the knockout here. All right, up next in the featherweight division, we're talking about a bout between Nathaniel, the prospect would taking on a fighter who's a newcomer to the UFC, but did get that knockout over Jamie Malarkey in his debut in Muhammad. Naimov twenty and five for Nathaniel Wood nine and two for Muhammad Naimov. Um, listen, this is a lot closer of a fight than the odds are going to make you think. You look at the odds, Nathaniel Wood sitting around a minus four minus five hundred favorite. I'm going to pull that up real quick just so we got the correct, you know, analysis on the fight. Um, let's see, Nathaniel Wood is minus three forty plus 270 on the side of Naimov. I've always been a big fan of Nathaniel Wood. He's a very good striker. He switches stances from orthodox to southpaw. He's got a very good low-kicking game. His defense is pretty solid when he's just standing at striking distance, but when they get into exchanges, he leaves himself open and usually gets countered and clipped mid-exchange and gets hit. If he's just getting punches thrown at him and he's playing more defensively, Wood's got good defense. He's got good movement, good footwork, really solid low kicks. I think that's going to be a big weapon against Naimov is using the low kicks and uh, trying to chop him down, slow down his movement, and then just work with his boxing once he can close that distance off and get into the correct boxing range. Um, I think Nathaniel Wood would be very well-versed, and in, in, you know, it would show high fight IQ if he uses his grappling in this fight. I think in the striking, Based on the fact that Nathaniel Wood does get clipped in exchanges, got clipped by Andre Feely, got clipped by John Dotson. Muhammad Naimov is a sniper on that back foot. You saw him catch Jamie Malarkey with that big left hook. I believe it was a left hook as he closed the distance, dropped him, jumped on him, and got him out of there. Um, He's got good stance-changing combinations. He'll throw, uh, be an orthodox, switch southpaw, throw that left body kick, go back, throw the right low kick. He's got very good awareness of where he is inside the octagon. And you could tell that this guy has a lot of experience. I think this is going to be a lot closer of a fight than the odds are making it seem like. Excuse me. I think these are going to be a lot closer of a fight than the odds are making it look. Now, I've always picked Nathaniel Wood. I don't think I've picked against him in any fights inside of the UFC. And he's only really lost to John Dotson in his UFC career. Um, I believe he might have got one more loss in the UFC, but I could be wrong. Um, but either way, Nathaniel Woods, a very technical striker, very good boxing, very good left hook, probably one of the best left hooks and counter left hooks in the game. Daimov seems to be pretty good defensively, though. He uses his footwork well. He moves in and out of range. He stance changes between orthodox and southpaw. He can stance change mid-combination. I think the easiest path to victory for Wood is to close off that distance throw a feint out there, and then use his grappling. Get the takedowns, whether it's trips. Uh, Get inside the clinch. Use elbows. Use knees. We saw how good his clinch game and clinch trip game is when he fought Charles Jourdain. It was a lot of inside work inside of the clinch, a lot of closing the distance with the boxing, getting into the single collar, getting into the over-under, getting into the double-under clinch, landing knees, landing strikes off the break. But at striking distance, when he closes that range off, I feel like Naimov's going to be able to catch him on the chin and drop him. We've seen it almost bite him in the ass in multiple fights in his UFC career before. And I'm not necessarily saying that I think Naimov is the better fighter overall. I don't think that. I think the more well-rounded fighter with more tools in their game is Nathaniel Wood. But based on the fact that when he closes in that range, when he goes and starts throwing his combinations, he's live to get clipped mid-combo. He's gotten clipped and survived before. And I do think that over 15 minutes, Nathaniel Wood probably wins this fight in more ways than Naimov can win this fight. If it goes the distance, I would say that it probably goes To Wood, So I could see why he is the favorite, but I don't think he should be as big of a favorite as he is currently. Um, I'm actually going to side with the underdog at plus 250 in Muhammad Naimov. I think he's live. I think he's got powerful enough striking to catch Nathaniel Wood during those combinations when his chin is in the air. We've seen him get sat down. We've seen him get clipped. We've seen him get dropped. And although he's a very solid technical fighter, when he closes off that distance, when he crashes that pocket and gets into that boxing range, that's when a guy like Nine going to be able to time him, bang, with that left hook, switch orthodox, boom, time him with that right hook, time him with a straight left. He's got good footwork, good awareness of his feet. He's always moving. He doesn't really make a whole lot of mistakes, and I saw a lot from him in that fight against Malarkey, but he did get taken down. He did get controlled on the floor for a decent amount of time, and that's where I think Nathaniel Wood should look to take this fight or just pushing Naimov up against the cage, but making sure to be careful to not close the distance too recklessly and get clipped, but I think at a certain point, he's going to throw those combinations out, close that distance, Get cracked with a big hook, dropped, and knocked out. I'm going with the plus 260, plus 270 underdog in Muhammad Naimov to get a second win in the UFC over another very, very respectable fighter in Nathaniel Wood via a second round TKO. So give me the plus 250, plus 260 underdog in Muhammad Naimov to get the job done. Second round knockout over Nathaniel Wood. All right, up next, you've got a battle in the middleweight division between Abu Azaitar and Cedricus, the Reaper, Dumas, or SD, Dumas. Listen, I picked Dumas in his last fight as an underdog against Cody Brundage, and he looked good. He got caught in a guillotine a couple times, but aside from the guillotines, That's really all Brundage had to offer. He kept jumping guillotine. He was giving up top position. But what I saw from Dumas is that he's improving. He's improving rapidly, and he's been using that top position. He's been able to – he was able to out-grapple – You know, a very talented wrestler in Cody Brundage getting top position, eventually finding the ways to take his back, get the hooks in, almost lock in a rear naked choke, but Brundage was able to defend it. Um, He was able to control the top position and try to land some good ground and pound. He showed good control, good improvements, good awareness. In his last fight against Josh Fremd, prior to that, um, he got dropped. He was getting rocked on the feet and then eventually got submitted with a guillotine choke up against the cage. So we didn't get to see too much from him in that fight against Josh Friend. But, you know, I think Dumas is a solid fighter. I think he's becoming way more well rounded. I think that if you're going to back him at certain points, this is probably where most people would want to back him against a fighter in a Zaytar who hasn't fought in a few years, a guy who hasn't been in the UFC. Let's see. Pull it up. Last time Azitar was in the UFC was March 27th of 2021, so it's been over two years. He went in back and forth war against Mark Andre Burial the Power Bar and got finished with four seconds left in the third round. Um, but this guy is 14 and three as a professional mixed martial artist. Two out of those three losses though have come via TKO, so he is susceptible to getting finished. He is susceptible to getting cracked and hurt. And most of the time, if you're going to beat a guy like a Zytar, you have to tire him out, you have to slow him down, you have to embrace the war early on, embrace the big overhands, the big hooks, the big body shots, embrace the big clinch work, you know, slow him down, and then eventually break him down the stretch. That's how you're going to finish a guy like a Zytar. Obviously, yeah, you can catch him with a big shot, you can hurt him, you can drop him, that can happen to any fighter. But early on, as Zaytar's a machine. He's going to walk forward. He's going to look for big overhands. He's going to look to use the jab, use the jab to the body. Left hook, overhand right, uh, right hand to the body. One, two, get into the clinch. Knee, knee, elbow off the brake. Push away. Boom, 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 boom. He's going to throw big, heavy power, and he's a big heavy, muscular dude for this division. He's going to be a lot stronger than Dumas, but Dumas is going to have the reach advantage. He's going to have a three-inch reach advantage at 79 inches compared to a 76-inch reach for a Zytar, and he's going to have a a one-and-a-half-inch leg reach advantage. He's going to also be four inches taller, so what Dumas is going to want to do is keep it at kicking range and keep him on the end of his strikes, jab, Teep to the body, inside and outside low kick, long right hand, one twos down the middle, the long straight attacks, um, lunging in with a knee, the rear knee as the opponent steps in, catch him with that step in knee, break off with an elbow, step off, jab, hook, right body kick, lead teep, rear teep, faint, knee to the body, circle off. Like, that's what you're going to want to do. You don't want to get into the clinch with a guy like a Zaytar. You don't want to get into the boxing range with a Zaitar. Cedricus Dumas is going to have to use his gifts and keep him at a distance and either knock him out or keep him at a distance long enough to strike with him for about two rounds, slow him down, and then be able to use the wrestling, the takedowns, and the top control. I do think Dumas probably should be the favorite based off the layoff of Zaitar. You know, he's the brother of Atman Azaitar, I believe. But what I did see in that Marc-Andre fight is that this guy can crack, man. Zaytar hurt uh, Marc-Andre burial a few times. He's got big, heavy power. I think he's the underdog solely for the reason that he's been gone for about two years, which makes sense. And in most cases, they're right. But I think they're a little off on this one. I do think Dumas, with the activity, with the reach, he has a lot of advantages in this fight. But the strength advantage, the power advantage... Um, the physicality advantage, the ability to stay in a tough fight, I think that goes to Azaitar. I'm not saying that the Dumas win over Cody Brundage wasn't impressive impressive because it was and he was able to stick it out in a very grueling, grappling-paced fight. And we saw new wrinkles to the game of SD Dumas. But Azaitar's big, heavy punches, his uppercuts, his overhands, it was a heavy, hectic pace that I think if Dumas was in a fight like that, he would break in that second round. I don't even think he would make it to the third round in a heavy pace back and forth, you know, striking and grappling fight with that much volume on the feet. I don't think Cedricus would be able to last in that. I think azaytar is going to have a little bit of ring rust so there is a possibility that dumas catches him early on or there's a possibility he survives and weathers the storm of azaytar just coming forward with big heavy boxing combinations knees clinch work elbows knees inside the clinch pushing dumas up against the cage looking for takedowns and then slows him down and can maybe get a third round finish or just decisively maybe get a 10-8 where he lost the first two rounds and it could be a draw um, but I'm going to go with the underdog here in Azaitar. I just feel like he is the more dangerous fighter. I feel like he has more power. I do think the range is going to be an issue, but he doesn't have a problem getting in the face of his opponents, closing off that distance, pushing the opponent up against the cage, landing big hooks, big straights, uppercuts, knees to the body. Um, and I think the physicality of Azaitar is just going to be too much, even with this layoff, for Cedricus Dumas or Cedric's SD Dumas. So I'm going to go with an underdog again. Um, I believe he's plus 150. I'll be able to tell you that right now. He is plus 170. So the money is coming in on Dumas. Uh, Plus 170 for Abu Azaitar. Um, I like him as the dog in this fight. I just think he's more physical. I think he has better cardio. Even though he did slow down, I think he has better cardio in this type of fight. Because it's not going to be a heavy volume um, so much volume, pressure, in-the-face style like the Marc-Andre Berriot fight. So I'm going to go with a Zaitar to actually get this done via submission. Give me Abu a to get the job done via late second-round submission. I think he lands some ground and pound from the top, eventually finds the neck, and chokes out SD Dumas. Um, I would look at a Zaytar inside the distance because I think if he gets the job done, it's probably going to be by knockout or sub. But yeah, I just like his physicality um that Marc Andre Beryol fight even it was a, even though it was a loss that showed me a lot because a lot of people break under the pressure of Beryol and Azaitar wasn't just lasting in there and clearly losing i mean it was competitive he hurt Beryol he landed some big shots he rocked him early he rocked him again later in the fight and even when he got hit and hurt he was able to stay in it and try to win until the end um so give me Abu Azaitar at plus 170 to finish off Cedric West Dumas in round two. So give me Abu Azaitar round round two TKO. Um, I, I know I said sub earlier, but uh, I'll go with the TKO. Give me Abu Azaitar round two TKO over Cedric West SD Dumas as the plus 170 dog. All right, up next, you've got Javid Basharat, one half of the Basharat brothers. Taking on Victor Henry. Bashra coming in undefeated. 14-0 Victor Henry. 23 victories. Six defeats coming off that split decision win over Tony Gravely. Listen, this fight is a lot closer than the odds are making you think. I 100% believe that and I will die on that hill. I think that Victor Henry is a very difficult matchup for a fighter with the technicality, finesse, and prowess of a Javid Bashra. Or I'm sorry, a Javid Bashar. I was talking about his brother for a second. You look at the odds right now. Victor Henry is currently plus 400. It's a minus 535 for Basharat. Basharat's very talented. He has good grappling, good takedowns, good top control. Uh, He changes stances from orthodox to southpaw very well. He's got good straight punches. That's probably his best weapon are his straight punches, his front kicks to the body, Um, The straight punches and the counter ability of Basharat is really where he shines in most of his fights. He's able to control the distance, control the range, keep the opponents at the range that he wants and just pick them apart over 15 minutes. He's got good front kicks to the face. He can throw those to the body as well. And he's just a very, he's just an overall very well-rounded fighter. Going up against Victor Henry, Victor Henry Lamangosta came into the UFC against Hione Barcelos in his debut and won via unanimous decision. He then dropped the fight to uh, Rafael Asuncao, which, you know, doesn't look the best, but is still a veteran, and he just kind of got out-grappled in that fight and outpaced a little bit, and then he came back and got that split decision win over Tony Gravely. They have common opponents. Both men have fought Tony Gravely. Both men won via decision. It was a split decision for Henry, a unanimous decision for Basharat. Basharat was able to pick it up later on in the fight land more volume, and even in the fight where it was a unanimous decision for Bashrat, it was a close fight with Tony Gravely. Victor Henry, I thought he clearly won it. I didn't think it should be a split decision, but, you know, the wrestling, the takedowns of Gravely were giving Henry some issues, but even when he got taken down, he worked his way back up to the feet. He's got good ability to, uh, you know, shoot his hips out, get back up, work the over-unders, break off from inside the clinch. I think the volume of Victor Henry is going to give problems to Boshrat. Henry's a guy who doesn't look the best technically. Um, Sometimes he throws, you know, a little bit of awkward shots. He's moving his head all the time, uh, you know, using that awkward movement constantly on his feet. But the one thing I don't like about Boshrat is Boshrat kind of picks his shots finds the openings, lands the bigger bigger punches, and I do think he's the cleaner, more technical fighter in this fight against Henry, but Henry's volume, I think, is what's going to give Basharat some trouble. Now, at the same time, if Henry's kind of overwhelming Basharat with his volume, that's when I think Basharat's probably going to look to resort to working inside the clinch, pushing up Pushing Henry up against the cage, looking for doubles, looking for singles, shooting takedowns is probably what Boshrat's going to look to use to negate the volume and forward pressure of a guy like Victor Henry. But with the counter strikes as well, if Henry can't really get into a rhythm, that's really going to favor a guy like Boshrat. This fight is going to be who can establish their rhythm and who can land more volume. Because if it's a a volume-heavy fight, I feel like that favors Victor Henry, even at plus 400. But if it's a fight where it's being dictated, the pace is being dictated, it's a counter-striking style of matchup, that's where Basharat's going to shine. So the more volume that is output, the more volume that is landed in this fight, I only really see that going to the side of Victor Henry if it's a lot of volume, if there's a lot of activity, if it's a lot of strikes. Because Boshrat's not a volume striker. He's a counter-striker. So that's kind of what I see when it plays out. Um, I think Victor Henry is good enough to stand in there for three rounds with Boschrat. I think he's good enough to mix in some of his grappling. He's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well. He can go for submissions. He's got catch wrestling ability coming out of the Josh Barnett camp. He can go for subs. He can scramble off of his back. Now, does he want to be on his back against a guy like Boshrat? No, because he's more than likely going to get controlled there. But I don't see Basharat finishing him with a sub. I don't see him finishing him with ground and pound. I think the forward movement, the footwork, the ability to mix up the punches, the kicks behind the punches, you know, straight shot, body kick, one-two, low kick, bop, bop, bop. He's just touching. Bop, 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 That's how Victor Henry is touching and finding the openings and being able to exploit the defensive inefficiencies and break the opponent down the stretch. I think the fighter who has better cardio over 15 minutes, I, I honestly think it's going to be Victor Henry because I think he's going to be putting the output out there. Now I know Boschrat's going to be the, the the favorite pick. He's going to be in everybody's parlays. I think Boschrat's the parlay buster this weekend. I know nobody's expecting it, but I think Victor Henry has a shot here. He's technical. He's clean on his feet. He can grapple, even though I wouldn't like him to be spending a lot of this fight on his back if he does get taken down, but he's got good volume, good kicking, good punching. He can mix up his combinations well. He can get in your face in that third round. Yeah, he'll slow down a little bit, but he's still going to put out a hell of a lot more volume than Bashrat. and if he can out-volume Bashrat and be more active over the 15 minutes, I think he can steal a decision here, and that's what I'm going to go with. Give me the plus 400 underdog in Victor La Mangosta Henry to get the job done via a 29-28 split decision. I think it's going to be very close, but I think the volume, the forward pressure, um, the ability to mix it up from Henry is going to give Javid a a lot of trouble, and it's not going to allow him to settle into his counter-striking abilities unless he's able to time Henry stepping in and catch him with a big shot that slows down the volume that Mangosta or La Mangosta is going to be outputting and putting out over the 15 minutes. But I like Victor Henry in this matchup. I just think that he has um, the activity, the volume, and the technical ability to hang with Basharat and outstrike him over 15 minutes. So give me Victor, La Mangosta, Henry to pull off a huge upset as a 4-1 to one underdog and via 29-28 split decision over Javid Bashra. All right, up next, we've got the prelim headliner in the flyweight division with the toughest test of one of the brightest prospects in this division inside of the UFC. in Tim Elliott, the MMA UFC veteran Ultimate Fighter winner, who challenged Demetrius Johnson, for the flyweight title coming off of the Ultimate Fighter. Almost caught him in a few submissions, was very competitive, but ultimately lost that decision, taking on Mohamed Mukayev. Or, I'm sorry, Mohamed Mukayev, who is currently, I believe he's 24, 25 years old, somewhere around there, undefeated as a professional fighter in 10 victories, no defeats. I think he's total, like, almost 30-0. and 0 because he had an undefeated amateur record as well when he was competing in the IMAFS, the International Mixed Martial Arts Federation, um, which is where some of the best fighters from other countries like Dagestan, um, like other parts of Russia and, and things like that end up coming from. But uh, let me see what his amateur record was, because I believe it was like 20-0, and 0, something like that. Hamid Makaev, amateur record. It was 23-0 as an amateur, 10-0 as a pro. So combined record of 33-0. Never tasted defeat. IMAP double champ, I believe. Tim Elliott, 20 victories, 12 defeats, 1-0 contest. Both have an identical height at 5'7". Mokayev's going to have a 4-inch reach advantage at reach, 66 inch reach, sixty six inches of reach for Tim Elliott to 70 inches of reach for Mohammed Mokayev. I'm going to be honest. I do think that Tim Elliott is going to give Mokaev some fits here. Um, I think he will be able to scramble with Mokaev. I think he might end up getting top position at certain points. There was a point where I believe it was Malcolm Gordon was able to get uh, the back of Mokaev, almost catch him in a submission. He was able to scramble with him at certain points. But I think that's more based on the fact that Mokaev just kind of has that Hamzat Chemaev you know, aura about himself where he's just going to try to run through you. He's going to try to bum rush you. He's going to try to sometimes sacrifice technical issues and technical advancements in the grappling in order to just try to bully you. He's a very technical grappler. He's got very good striking. We saw him catch Cody Durden with a flying knee and then jumped into a guillotine, but he locked it up like a uh, fulcrum choke where he had like the Darce choke grip um, but jumped on it with a guillotine, the figure four guillotine, which I think is called the um, – I can't think of the name of it. Not the Darst choke. It's called the um, – Ooh, hold on. I can't think of it. I want to look this up because I've missed this name before. Hold on. Figure four guillotine choke name. Ninja choke. That's it. The Ninja choke, the Bravo choke, the Ninja choke. Um, He caught Durden with a Ninja choke off of that flying knee. And we know Durden has been on a run lately. Just coming off that big victory in his last fight over. um, I can't think of it. Hold on. Cody Durden coming off that win. A very good fight. It was a competitive fight. Um, Jake Hadley where I thought for sure Jake Hadley was going to beat a guy like Durden, but, you know, Durden kind of fraud-checked him at a certain point. Um, listen, when I look at this fight, I do think that they are going to be evenly matched in certain aspects of the grappling, but I do think that Mikhaev is a little bit better technically in the way he transitions from position to position. Yes, he does get a little bit over-aggressive. That's probably not going to be the best idea against Elliot, but Elliot's a very good wrestler. He's a very good grappler. He's very good at controlling in the top position. Um, But it's against guys who don't really know how to make those technical advancements from position to position who sacrifice um, position for potential submissions or for potential finishes. They'll sacrifice, you know, making big moves and, and give up certain positions that smarter, more advanced grapplers won't give. And I think that's where the big difference is here. I think the better striker is 100% Mokayev. I think Mokayev can catch Tim Elliott on the feet. I think he can catch him with a flying knee. I think he can catch him with a straight right. He's got very good straight punches, good head kicks. He mixes it up very well, and this might very well turn into a striking matchup more than it will be a grappling contest. I want to see the scrambles. I want to see the wrestling exchanges between the two, but usually if they're very solid grapplers, it ends up being a striking matchup. And I think that is something that we're probably going to see here at certain Points of the fight. And Mokayev is coming in as a five to one favorite, minus 485, minus 495. Elliot's coming back as like a plus 400, plus 370 underdog. And I know a lot of people, including myself, when I first thought about it, I was like, man, Elliot is really live at a price tag with this high of underdog odds. We saw in the fight against Jafael Filo, which is why Mokayev has been gone for so long, he got caught in that knee bar. Had it fully hyperextended, did feel, I mean, completely anybody else I think would have tapped. He got out of the knee bar, jumped on his back, and immediately submitted him with a rear naked choke after almost getting submitted himself, and he probably should have tapped because his knee was blown apart. I mean, he couldn't even walk after that, had reconstructive surgery. What is a guy like Mikhaev going to be able to come back looking like after that catastrophic of a knee injury? He's young, like I said, 23, 24, somewhere around there. This guy's been gone for a very long time and coming off of that devastating knee injury, is he going to look different? And will the knees be able to hold up against a fighter with the grappling, the chain wrestling, the wrestling pressure, the forward pressure, just the downright dirty dog in Tim Elliott? I do think Makayev gets this done. I do think Makayev finishes Tim Elliott and I think it's more than likely going to be by submission. We've seen Elliott get clipped on the feet. We've seen him get hurt, but a lot of the times... If he loses by finish, he'll end up putting himself in a position where he can get choked, where he can get his back taken, where he can get submitted. And we've seen it in, you know, multiple fights in his career. We've seen it in the UFC before. Sometimes he's just a little bit too wild and he will leave his neck out there to get caught up like Brandon Royval did to him. Um, I think Mokaev will find the better positioning in those scrambles. I think he definitely can knock him out on the feet. I think he's the much better and sharper striker of the two. I do like Elliott's style, you know, kind of Dominic Cruz-esque, hands low, side stance, using that kind of shoulder-bump style of defense, uh, like a poor man's Philly shell, moving in and out and constantly changing his stances, which is going to make – Disguising the takedown attempts easier and make it harder for Mokayev to see the wrestling entries. But at the end of the day, I think Mokayev outstrikes him on the feet, and I think that he probably is able to snatch up the neck during a scramble. Um, Elliot might get hurt with a knee. He might get hurt with a big uppercut. I feel like he gets hurt with something, tries to wrestle a little bit too hard. Mokayev's going to snatch up that neck in a guillotine choke and submit him. So my pick is going to be. The undefeated Muhammad Mokayev to stay undefeated, improve to 11-0, and and submit Tim Elliott via a second-round guillotine choke submission. Um, I think Mokayev's a good parlay piece, but I do understand being a little bit hesitant coming off of that big knee injury. You know, he might not come back as the same guy, but I do think he finds a way to finish Elliott inside the distance here. So give me Mokayev's second-round guillotine choke submission. All right, let's move on to the next fight up, and it's going to be in the middleweight division between the number eleven ranked fighter, coming off of his UFC debut first round knockout over Phil Hawes, in Ikram Aliskarov or Ikram Aliskarov taking on Warley Elvez. Excuse me. Um, right on, the, on this website, it says Ikram's plus one hundred and that Alves is minus 120, if that was the odds, I would put like $1,000 if I had it on Ikram Alaskarov, which is going to give you my pick. But honestly, here's what I see. Warley Alves is a very, very powerful fighter. He has very solid body kicks, very good low kicks. He's got very powerful boxing, and he can mix it up well. He is a dangerous fighter. Ikram is a fighter who has good striking and has really good grappling, but for the most part, He likes to keep it on the feet. If you go back and watch, Ikram Alaskarov actually fought Hamzat Chemaev back in Brave. Brave FC. He fought Hamzat Chemaev. He got knocked out in the first round with an uppercut. Hamzat threw a rear uppercut and then pivoted off on the lead side, knocked Alaskarov out cold. But early on, he shot a takedown, and Ikram was able to use the wizard, defend it. And to this day, Hamzat Chemaev says, you know, even though the fight ended in like a minute or two, that that was his toughest opponent that he's ever fought, and to think you're going to say that after you went three rounds with Gilbert Burns, after you you know went life and death with him, and now you're going up against Usman, um, I I don't know if I fully believe that, but I think that's more of a tip of the cap to a guy like Aliskarov. The one thing I do think is that he has a defensive striking style similar to a Khabib. I mean, he's definitely a better striker and more dangerous than a Habib Nurmagomedov, but he uses that lead hand frame to control the distance, and he kind of leans back or pulls away. If fighters can step in and really control that range and crash that pocket, I do think Ikram has the chance to get hurt on the feet. He was getting hit with a lot of shots from Phil Hawes. Um, Hawes was a southpaw fighter. I believe, an Akram is an orthodox fighter. He was landing that body kick over and over with Hawes. He was landing some jabs. He was hitting him with some big shots. I think he stunned him with a straight punch at a certain point. Um, Then he was able to get that outside foot, crash that pocket, bang him with a a right hand. He was able to slip to the outside, land that lead hook, and kind of start to get the timing and the range down. He was able to catch Phil Hawes, changing levels on a takedown with a big head kick, which stopped him in his tracks. He closed the distance, tried to go with an elbow off the break inside the clinch, landed some knees to the body, backed up, and then threw a picture-perfect 1-2, which caught Hawes right on the jaw. And knocked him out cold. I think that he's going to run through Worley Elvez in this fight. Elvez has knocked out fighters in the UFC. He's coming off a decision loss to Nicholas Dolby. And Dolby's a veteran. Dolby's a very solid fighter. I think a lot of people, including myself, were just discounting the fact and thinking that Elvez was going to run right through him. That's not what happened. He got dominated for three rounds. I mean, it was a pretty clear-cut decision victory for the point-fighting-esque traditional martial arts style of Nicholas Dolby. Morley um, Elvis has knocked out Munir Lazzez. He hurt him with a big body kick, dropped him, finished him off. Um, he got knocked out by Jeremiah Wells. So we know that this guy is you know, kill or be killed. He's going to come forward. He's going to look for the finish. But at the same time, if he puts himself in the fire for a little bit too long, he can get clipped with a big shot and get hurt as well. I think there is going to be a big grappling advantage for Alaskarov, but I feel like he's only really going to use the grappling defensively and not really use it in an offensive manner. I think he's going to use it to stuff takedowns, potentially look for front chokes, you know, look for anacondas, look for Darces, look for a guillotine if Alves panic wrestles. But I think we're going to see mainly a striking matchup, and that is more dangerous for a guy like Alaskarov, but I think Alaskarov's gonna get through this fight with flying colors. I mean, there's a reason. He opened up, I think, at like minus 300. He's already up to a minus 600 favorite. I think he might even go a little bit higher up come Saturday morning. Um, But I do think Ikram gets this done. I just think he's sharper. I think he's more technical. I think even if Alves looks for... Takedowns and looks to wrestle. Ikram's going to be able to defend that and probably get to the top position. Avoid the submission attempts of Elvez, even though he does have a very solid guillotine choke. I would just say that if Ikram is going to shoot those doubles or singles, um, he has to watch out for his neck because Elvez can snatch up that guillotine. But aside from a big body kick that hurts Aliscarov, aside from a one shot KO, aside from a hail mary submission where he catches the neck in a scramble and submits him, I I just think Aliscarov wins here, even at a minus six hundred. Um, I would say probably wait for the Ikram Aliskarov inside the distance uh, by KO or sub or look for the under two and a half rounds because I don't see this fight going the distance. Um, but Aliskarov is a great parlay piece for this weekend. And I think that he's going to make light work of Worley Elvis it might be kind of the kind of tentative for the first two minutes but the longer the fight goes I think Elcaro is gonna find his range he's gonna use that jab he's gonna find that one two I think he's gonna throw some body kicks he might throw a good front kick to the body step off I think he's gonna land that one- two on Elvez Elvis is gonna to try to shoot he's gonna land that knee inside the clinch I think he's probably gonna break off Throw some more shots, and I think he eventually just catches Warley Elvis drops him, and gets him out of there. So my pick is going to be the number 11-ranked Ikram Alaskarov to be defeat Worley Elvis via first-round knockout. I think he gets him out of there in round one. I could see him making it to round two. You know, if he's a little bit tentative in the first round, maybe he doesn't want to throw as many shots because Elvis is explosive. He is powerful and he does have finishing ability, but I think Ikram's way too technical. I think he's way too way too well-rounded for a fighter in Warley Elvis who we've seen get clipped, who we've seen kind of break mentally, and who we have seen get finished in multiple ways inside the UFC. So give me the number 11 ranked Ikram Alaskarov to win this fight via late First round TKO and go 2-0 and in the UFC. I like Alaskarov inside the distance when the props come out. I like the under two and a half rounds, and I like Alaskarov on the money line, even though it's a juicy, juicy, you know, 6-1 to one favorite for your parlays. I think Ikram is a very safe parlay piece for the week, and I think he gets it done in flying colors in this matchup. Up next on the card, we've got the light heavyweight battle that I thought got canceled. I was pretty sure that Vale Woodburn stepped in to face Ankalaev with Johnny Walker being injured. Like, I'm positive I saw that somewhere, but apparently not. You've got a battle between top 10 light heavyweights in a phenomenal matchup. The number two ranked Magomed Ankalaev coming off of that draw against Jan Blahovich back at UFC 282, I believe. Taking on the number seven ranked fighter on a currently, I believe, a three-fight win streak in Johnny Walker. 18-1-1 one one for Ankalaev, 21-7 for Walker. Ankalaev's only loss came at the end of round three. I believe with like five or six seconds left, he got submitted by Paul Craig in a triangle choke when he was clearly dominating and controlling from the top position. Other than that, Ankalayev's looked very impressive in his UFC career. Knockout wins over Iwan Kutelaba, um, a TKO over Anthony Smith. That draw with Jan Blahovich, where a lot of people believed that Blachowicz, um or I'm sorry, that Ankulayev should have got the win via decision in that fight. Johnny Walker is coming off of a submission or a, a decision win, I believe, over Anthony Smith. Hold on, Johnny Walker. Yes, a decision over Anthony Smith. Before that, um, he got a first-round knockout over Paul Craig. Before that, he had a submission in round one over Iwan Kutelaba. His last loss came to the, in my opinion, I mean the current UFC light heavyweight champion in Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill back in February 2022. Since then, like I said, racked up wins against Kutelaba, Anthony Smith, and Paul Craig. Uh, You know, looking at this fight, the more dangerous fighter, I believe, is Johnny Walker. The fighter who's going to be able to find a more explosive finish with his movement, with his awkward in-and-out style. The flying knees, the spinning back fists, you know, the hook kicks, um, the improved grappling, wrestling, and submission skills. That's all going to be... On the side of johnny walker and johnny walker is live as almost a three to one underdog in this fight because of his explosiveness because of his power because of his ability to catch his opponents on the chin with a big shot and hurt them but Magomed Ankalaev is a very very technical fighter he's very good at managing range he has great footwork he's always looking to get the outside foot being a southpaw which is the lead right foot he's always looking to get that on the outside of the lead left foot try to land that straight left hand right down the middle use that jab to the check right hook. He's got good left body kicks, a good left head kick. He can throw front kicks like he knocked out Dolce Lungi with. Um, But he has been clipped. He has been hurt. We've seen he has a susceptibility to low kicks. Um, I think Blachowicz was more comfortable using that because he wasn't super worried about the takedowns. I think Johnny Walker... Is a little bit more dangerous off of his back and with submission attempts than Blažević, but I still think Magomed Ankalaev would outgrapple Johnny Walker if the fight does get to the floor. But on the feet and in the striking range, the more the sharper, more technical, more defensively responsible fighter is Ankalaev. Like I said, uses range, manages range, uses the jab, the check hook the straight left hand, the left head kicks, uh, the left kicks to the body against the Orthodox fighter. And Walker is a very hittable fighter. And we've seen him get chinned in the past. We've seen him get chinned, knocked out like three or four times in one fight on the regional scene. Um, Walker has become more defensive though, and has become more responsible and more technical in his approach. I could see this fight making it the full 15 minutes. um, And if that happens, I would probably say Ankaliev is able to land the better counter strikes catch Johnny Walker stepping in, not allow Walker to find the range and land his big, powerful explosive punches. Um, I would say that Walker has a power advantage, but at the same time, the speed, power, and technicality of Ankalaev with the defensive inefficiencies of Walker might kind of even it out or even give the edge to Ankalaev because he's sharper and a cleaner striker on the feet. The better grappler is Ankalaev, but a lot of the times he doesn't use his grappling offensively. He's more using it in a defensive manner, and I don't really see Walker looking to shoot takedowns unless he's trying to kind of offset Ankalaev and just find ways to, you know, open up strikes off the break or big looping punches or kicks or spinning attacks. That can catch Ankhalayev and knock him out. Um, Johnny Walker is going to have a three inch height advantage and a seven inch reach advantage. The seven inch reach advantage, I think, is going to give Ankhalayev a little bit of trouble because his normal technical striking ability and the ability to fight on the outside, control the range and distance, is going to be a lot harder against a fighter with the height and reach advantage of a Johnny Walker. It's going to be very hard to fight on the outside against a fighter. Who has a seven-inch reach advantage on you, but also has a power and explosiveness advantage. But at the same time, the better defensive fighter is 100% Ankalaev. And at that point, we've seen Walker's chin get cracked multiple times. Corey Anderson, Jamal Hill. um, You know, we've seen multiple fighters crack the chin of Johnny Walker in his UFC career. So, you know, it's definitely possible that Ankalaev catches him on the chin and knocks him out. It's possible. Johnny Walker finds a big straight punch, a big flying knee, a big spinning back fist and catches Ankalaev on the chin and knocks him out. I actually think this fight is a lot harder to predict than the odds would let you would lead you to believe because I would almost say that at this point it's better to just put some money on Johnny Walker man, because he has that finishing upside. He has that ability to finish Ankalaev. and you know, it, you never know, man, I mean Walker has power. he has big, heavy, punching power, one-shot KO power, but he can get knocked out himself. So the safer pick would be Magomed Ankalayev to win this fight, more than likely via either a ground-and-pound TKO or a decision. I don't necessarily see him submitting Johnny Walker, but when you look at the odds and you have Johnny Walker sitting at a plus 285, almost a 3-to-1 underdog it's worth it to put a little bit on Johnny Walker and take Johnny Walker inside the distance if you're looking at props. I mean a plus two eighty-five is great, but Walker by KO is probably like plus five, plus six hundred, somewhere around there. And, and I think at that price tag, it's worth a shot. Do I think he wins the fight? I think it's possible, man. I really do. I, I also think you have to look at it as the fact that Mogomet Ankalaev is taking a step down in competition and With a big step down in competition, sometimes the fighter will kind of take their opponent lightly and just think that they're going to walk through him. I could see it being a similar situation here where coming off that draw, you know, being gone for so long, Ankaliev might just come into this fight and not take Johnny Walker seriously and just think he's going to run right through him and Johnny Walker might catch him and hurt him with a big shot and knock him out. So the smarter pick is probably Ankaliev, but I'm going to take Johnny Walker. I'm going to take a shot on the underdog. Um, like I said, I think if Ankaliyev wins, it's probably by KO or decision. I would say more decision, but Walker has been knocked out in the past. Um, I know it's probably not the best for, you know, to pick a fighter with the durability issues of Walker, but he's kind of cleaned that up a little bit. I'm going to go with Johnny Walker. I, I just feel like this is kind of the perfect storm for him to find a big shot and knock out Ankaliyev and kind of live up to the potential that we thought he had going into that Corey Anderson fight. In Madison Square Garden, so give me the underdog at plus two eighty five in Johnny Walker to find the knockout here. I'm gonna go with Johnny Walker via a second round knockout at plus two eighty five over Magomed Ankalaev. Um, it's like I said, it's not the smartest pick, but with these odds, with the explosiveness and with the finishing ability, I think I think Johnny Walker is live here, man. Give me Johnny Walker second round knockout over Magomed Ankalaev. All right, up next, we move to the co-main event of the evening. On short notice, just like the main event in the middleweight division, you have a battle between two welterweights, pretty much. In the number one-ranked welterweight, former reigning defending welterweight champion in Komaru, the Nigerian Nightmare Uzman, taking on the number four-ranked Hamzat Chemaev, who we haven't seen inside the octagon, since UFC 279, where he fought against Kevin Holland on short notice and caught him in a first-round Darce Choke submission. You've got Chemayev versus Uzman, a fight that fans have wanted forever. And man, this is a very competitive matchup, even with it being on 10 days' notice. Um, I think this fight, more than likely, plays out in a striking matchup. Um, I think the grappling of each of these fighters negates each other, and if anybody's able to get takedowns or use their wrestling, I think that comes from the side of Hamzat Chemayev. I I know Usman is always in shape. I'm sure he's been training, getting ready for a fight. I think he'll come into this fight more prepared than people think, but I don't necessarily know if that's going to be enough. I think if you have a striking matchup, the straight punches of Usman, uh, especially that jab, from both the orthodox and the southpaw stance are what's going to give Chimaev the most fits. Um, the front kick or teep kick to the body is going to be his best kicking option. And the jab and the from southpaw and orthodox are going to be his best weapons for keeping Chimaev at bay. Um, I know that Chimaev dropped Gilbert Burns with the southpaw jab. Which coincidentally is the exact same punch that Kamaru Uzman dropped and finished off Gilbert Burns with. When they fought for the welterweight championship. Um, They both, Hamzat and Usman, both got dropped by Gilbert Burns. I mean, Burns hit Chemayev with a vicious overhand right. He hit him with a one behind the ear where he kind of face-planted against the cage. Chemayev jumped up, was using the wrestling, trying to, you know, shoot the double leg, got the takedown even after he got rocked. Um, I think this fight is very competitive, but at the same time, um, I I still think even if this was a full-camp fight, that Usman would get beat by Chemayev. I I think Chemayev is just a little bit too much at this point in Usman's career. I think, you know... I think Usman is slowing down at this point. I think he has a little bit of an inefficiency in the striking defense, and I've always kind of said that. I think Shemaev isn't the best defensively on the feet either, but I think he has better striking defense than Kamaru Usman. I think he's a better technical striker when he puts his combinations together, where I think single shots probably favor Usman, like I said, with that jab from Orthodox and Southpaw the straight left or the straight right. Um, But putting combinations together and striking combinations, you know, putting the kicks and punches together, I think that heavily favors Chimaev. I think he's cleaner when he puts three, four strikes together, you know, punctuates with low kicks or body kicks. And with the the wrestling, I feel like they will have wrestling exchanges. I think they will wrestle with each other. But I think if anybody gets a takedown, it more than likely is Chimaev. If you go back and watch the second fight with Edwards and Usman, He was able, or I think it was the first fight, actually. I'm wrong. The first fight with uh, Edwards and Usman, he was able to get an inside trip, or it was either, I think it was an inside trip. No, it was an outside trip. He was able to get an outside trip on Usman, spin around, take the back, put the body triangle in, and threaten with a rear naked choke, and control that position for the remainder of round one, you know, out grappling Usman when Edwards isn't known as a grappler. If Edwards can do that to Usman, I think Chemayev can do that as well. I think looking for trips, inside or outside trips, head on the outside singles. But the thing is, Chemayev isn't really going to be looking for takedowns in the trip sense of the word. He's more going to be looking for singles, body locks, double legs, uh, cutting the corner on the single leg and running the pipe on the double leg. Uh, it's not really going to be trips from Chimaev. But if he were to resort to that, if he like did the crackdown series with the single leg, I think he could have some success in taking down Usman, especially with the constant knee issues that he's talked about um, later in his career. Like he can't even walk on concrete. He said that on, I believe Joe Rogan said that on his podcast as well. And I just think this is too much for Usman on short notice. I really do. I think the odds at plus 285 make you feel like you almost have to play Usman at that price tag because there's never really going to be another fight. Where you're going to get Usman at that big of an underdog odds. But there's also not a lot of fights where you're going to get Shemaev at under or just above a 3-1 to favorite. Usually it's going to be minus 400, 500, 600, etc. And that's usually how Shemaev's fights, you know, happen. Yes, this is the toughest test of Shemaev's career. Yes, he went to war with Gilbert Burns and Usman knocked out Burns. Yes, all those things are true. But... I still think Chamayev finishes Usman here, man. I I really think he finishes him. I think he's going to get into a striking exchange. I think he's going to clip Kamaru on the chin, who doesn't have the best striking off or striking defense and doesn't really use a whole lot of head movement. I think he catches him with a big shot, wobbles him, closes the distance, and drops him and finishes him off. I think Chamayev's going to finish Kamaru Usman in round two. I think he's just a little bit too technical. He's got a little bit too much power for Usman on the feet. And I do think he's going to catch him, drop him, and knock him out in this fight. I don't think it's round one. I think it's going to be a competitive round one where um, it's competitive, but Chemayev edges it out a little bit. But then in the second round, I think Chemayev's going to catch him. I'm actually going to go with an uppercut. I think he's going to catch Kamaru with an uppercut because Kamaru kind of uses that parry style. Sometimes he'll duck his head. If he's able to time him on the takedown or control the range enough to where he can see the level changes coming, I think that rear uppercut right up the middle, that rear six is going to catch Kamaru on the chin, drop him, and he's going to knock him out. So give me Hamzat Shemaev, Hamzat Borz Shemaev to finish off Kamaru Usman via second round knockout, getting the biggest win of his career and moving right into a middleweight title fight because Dana White has said that the winner of this fight will get a title shot. I know a lot of people are a little bit scared to play Shemaev because they feel like there's value on Kamaru, like we said, but with the short notice, even though Shemaev hasn't fought since UFC 279, that is something you have to take into consideration. We haven't seen him fight in a very long time. I still think you have to ride with Shemaev here. I still think this is Shemaev's fight to win, and uh, I think he catches Uzman and knocks him out. So give me Hamza Shemaev, round two knockout with that rear uppercut uh, catching Usman on a level change and knocking him out. Um, I think Chemaev's a good parlay piece. I think the under two and a half is a decent parlay piece. Um, I do think he knocks him out, but I am a little worried that maybe it does make it to a decision because I thought for sure there was going to be a finish in the Burns fight and there wasn't. So you always have to take the previous fight into consideration for the most recent fight and the one you're breaking down. I think Chemaev is going to be a little bit worse than the last time we saw him, but I think the regressions and the decline is a lot heavier on the side of Usman especially on about 10 or 11 days notice so Chimaev second round KO I like Chimaev for your parlay pieces um I like Chimaev by KO or submission but again it's not my favorite play I would say Chimaev on the money line is your best way to go and now we're at the main event of the evening for the lightweight championship the rematch from UFC 284 between Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, the current UFC featherweight champion, taking on the current UFC lightweight champion in Islam, Mahachev. Again, Volkanovsky stepping in on short notice. Um, I think there's a lot you can take from the first fight, and I was going to go into like a really deep analysis on this, but honestly, I just don't have the energy to do that right now. And I'm not going to give you a half-assed breakdown, but it's not going to be as in-depth as I was originally going to make it. Um, I believe that there's value on the Volkanovsky side here when it comes to making a bet. If you're going to give me Volkanovsky, who was on top of Islam, dropped him, jumped on top of him, and was ground and pounding him in the fifth round of a fight that was grueling and back and forth, played out with the striking, played out in the grappling. I think that the value is on Volkanovsky. Yes, Chemaya, or I'm sorry, yes, Islam, you know... Won the fight. He skated by with a decision win, retained his championship. But Volkanovsky, man, he's got the power to hurt Islam on the feet. Islam, also, we've seen, has the power to hurt Volkanovsky. He hurt him with a straight left hand. He had landed some good uh head kicks, body kicks. He's got a very good left kick. The check right hook is always good from Islam. His striking is better. I would say he's a more well rounded fighter than Khabib, but Khabib is a little bit more dominant, I would say. But when looking at this, you know, Islam hasn't fought since their last fight at UFC 284. Volkanovski's last fight was at UFC 290, where he TKO'd Yair Rodriguez, looked amazing, looked like an animal. Um, That was his last fight after the first time with Mahachev. And I think that that activity plays into his factor when going into this fight. I know Mahachev was originally supposed to take on Charles Oliveira, then Charles fell out with a cut in sparring on 10 days. Notice Volkanovski jumps in. We thought Volkanovski was going to take on Taporia in January, um, January 20th at UFC 297. Um, He said he's still going to take that fight. I wouldn't 100% fully believe that, but if anybody could do it, I think it is Volkanovski. Um, You know, but he did just have hand surgery after his last fight, so he might not be fully recovered from that surgery, but I still think he's going to be in shape. I still think he's going to have the cardio. I still think he's going to be technically good enough. To hang with Islam. Um, I think Mahachev's probably going to play a little bit heavier on the wrestling side. He probably won't want to strike as much as he did in the last fight. You know, I put him in danger more than he needed to. So he's probably going to look to wrestle. Shoot that low single. Shoot the head on the outside single. Use the crackdown series. Turn the corner. um, Run the pipes with the double legs. Try to shuck him forward. Take his back. Put the hooks in. Flatten him out. Control from the body triangle. Um, I think we might see Islam look to control Volkanovski more in this fight. You know, try to shuck him forward, take his back or sprawl out, try to spin and take his back, put that body triangle in and just kind of a crude control minutes more than looking for an actual finish in this fight. I will say if there's a finish in this fight, I 100% believe it comes from Volkanovski over Mahachev. I do not think Mahachev going to finish Volkanovski even with Volkanovski coming in on short notice. Um, I, I, I did pick Isla, or, uh, Ch- Charles Oliveira over Mahachev the first time they fought back at UFC, what was it, 280, UFC 280, yeah, I did pick Oliveira there, and Mahachev dropped him with that right hook, jumped on him, in arm triangle choked him, but we have seen Charles get finished before, we've seen him get TKO'd, we've seen him get knocked out, we've seen him get submitted, I don't think is gonna get finished via TKO or submission, from Mahachev. So I think if Mahachev wins this fight, it's more than likely going to be by decision where I'll say that if Volkanovsky wins this fight, I think it comes by a finish. Um, I He's got the power to hurt Islam. He's got the feints, the footwork, the movement, the changing of stances, the low kicks to the punches, the punches to the kicks. He's very technical. He's very methodical in the way he puts his shots together. We've seen that he can defend the takedowns of Islam and he can work his way back up to the feet, even if he does get taken down. Um, and I think that that's going to stay the same, even in this fight, even if Islam comes out with a more heavy wrestling approach, I still think Volkanovsky is going to be able to defend the takedowns can, you know, scramble with Mahachev, work his way back up to the feet and not get held down. Um, the one thing you do have to worry about is giving up your back because you don't want Islam to be able to put that body triangle in where he's more than likely going to be able to control you seat belt you and, you know, stay on you for the majority of the round and just win the round based on the actual control time. But I think I have to go with Volkanovski again. I know I've picked against Islam in the first one. I thought we got it. I thought we got it. I picked Volkanovski via late TKO or decision. I bet him again the last fight. And, man, I thought we got it, especially after that fifth round. But it was a close fight. I don't think it was a robbery for Mahachev to beat him the last time because it was close. And Mahachev had moments on the feet, had control time on the ground. So you can't say it's a robbery. But... I think that when I really look at it in layman's terms, the fighter who has to make less adjustments going into this fight is Volkanovski because he's going to be the better striker for the most part. It will be competitive, but I still think he's the better striker. He's going to have the heavier power. He knows he can go with the wrestling with Mahachev. I think Mahachev might be a little bit overconfident with his striking, but if he does have Khabib in his corner, which I think he will be, it's going to be a mostly wrestling-heavy, grappling-heavy control-time-heavy game plan from Mahachev. But if you're only really focusing on the wrestling and controlling and using the wrestling right out the gate, yes, it's probably going to slow Volkanovski down quicker because he's coming in on short notice, but it's also going to make it more telegraphed for him when you're shooting the takedowns and going with a more heavy wrestling game plan and kind of negating the striking on the feet. Um, So I think Volkanovski is the upside in this fight. Um, Even on short notice, I think he can beat Islam Mahachev We've seen him hurt him. We've seen him drop him. We've seen Islam drop Volkanovsky as well, so we know that it can come from either side. But I'm gonna go with a late TKO for Alexander Volkanovsky. I'm gonna go with a mm, I'm gonna go with a third round TKO for Alexander Volkanovsky in this fight. Even on short notice, you know, in his opinion, I think he feels like he really has nothing to lose. He's coming in, coming off that hand surgery, you know, it's not the most ideal circumstances, and you might think I'm crazy for betting on Volkanovski, but if you're going to give me a guy on short notice at plus 270, plus 280, who went life and death with the champion before as a plus 300, plus 400 underdog, I'm going to take the underdog again because I know they can have a competitive fight. Yes, that was on a full camp. This isn't, but I still think Volkanovski the side here to bet to pick. I think Islam can win it. I think if Islam wins, like I said, it more than likely comes via decision, but. I got to go with the great. I'm going to go with the great to become great, and it probably sets up a trilogy between the two. But give me Alexander Volkanovsky to become the new UFC lightweight champion via a third-round TKO, a late third-round TKO. I think he catches him on the chin, drops him, and finishes him off in this fight. I just see the fighter who's going to be able to fight a similar game plan and not have to make as many adjustments. I feel like it's Volkanovsky here and the activities on his side, because he did fight one time in between the Islam fight and this fight. And he looked great in that fight against Yair, even though that's more of a striker where he can use his wrestling and grappling, where he wouldn't have as much success doing that against the fighter in Islam who has the control grappling, scrambling and jujitsu ability. But I got to go with Volkanovski. I think he wins it. I think he pulls it off even on short notice. I think Volkanovsky's a good bet. I wouldn't say he's the greatest parlay piece because it is going to be a close fight. I wouldn't be surprised if Islam edged it out. But I'm going to go with Volkanovski again. Give me Alexander the Great Volkanovski via, I think I said third and fourth round. So I'll just make it final here. Um, Give me Volkanovski late third round TKO to become the new UFC lightweight champion.